The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 77 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, Chief Information Security Officer of Siena, Andy Vanillo. Hey, George. And the Chief Security Officer of BitGo, Thomas Pagler. Hey, George. Thanks for having me back, man. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and nothing on my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before I get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news and their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to this Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. So, I had a really big positive reaction from our listeners last week on the appearance of the CISO of Highmark Health, Omar Kawaja. And man, what a big show. You know, Andy, I can always tell when, when someone comes on the show and they're so beloved in the industry because the outpouring of support and appreciation just comes pouring in, man. It's just so obvious how much respect is out there for Omar, isn't it? It was crazy, right? Uh, he's he's fantastic. I mean, he covered such a broad breadth of things, you know, between risk and, and how to run teams and leadership and how to balance, you know, his home and work, work-life balance. Just, just amazing. So, Tom, I, I was thinking what a breath of fresh air it was having Omar on the show. And so many people were hitting me up, you know, on my, on my phone. They were texting me and calling me about uh, him and, and how respected he is. What do you think is the biggest thing that you took away from our conversation with him last week? Oh, I know it was the biggest thing. I was talking to a lot of uh, industry contacts about it. It's just that risk-based approach. He's absolutely right there. You know, you can uh, do compliance stuff. That's more just for certifications. But when you really take a, a holistic look at it and say, hey, what's the risk? How am I going to address these risks? How are we going to get everybody in the company uh, or the industry to back behind this? I mean, that's definitely just absolutely hit out of the park with that one. And who wasn't thinking about screaming happy birthday when they came through the door after work? After yeah, I did it like three times this week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, so Omar is leading the way for cybersecurity professionals in the healthcare industry, that's for sure. And we also learned that Highmark Health has a big retail business, which I really didn't know. So that was really interesting information. So huge challenge for Omar in his current position, which by all accounts, he's taking head on. So it was a fantastic show last week. We covered the gamut with Omar, as you said, Tom, and we asked him about the biggest cybersecurity challenges. We asked him what his thoughts were on the most effective controls that he uses to continually try to strengthen his defense and depth security posture. And we asked him a lot about his leadership style and how important that is to a tech organization. And of course, you can't have a talk with an information security executive these days without asking him about talent. So we asked him about the talent, and Omar was kind enough to share with us how the talent crisis has affected his organization, what his 
attrition rates are, which was interesting, and what types of tactics he is implementing to achieve a diverse workforce, which he spoke about pretty extensively, and can attract and entertain high-quality talent. So all huge issues in the industry, and a very inspiring discussion it was from someone who just brings a lot of energy to the room when he speaks. Like he, he just got everybody really jacked up. And if you haven't listened to the episode yet, I highly recommend you take a listen when you get a chance. That's the Chief Information Security Officer of Highmark Health, Mr. Omar Kowaja, on episode number 76 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, we were reminded why our episode with the Chief Information Security Officer of Turner, Peter Cronus, is one of the most listened to episodes in Task Force 7 Radio history. I dropped the March 2019 Encore episode of Task Force 7 Radio called The Cyber Conundrum, How Do We Fix Cybersecurity? I dropped it the week before last and I had a big spike in the numbers because Pete's a huge influence in the information security world. He's a tier one guy. Uh, he's got a lot of respect in the industry. And the theme of the show was why we need a cybersecurity moonshot to create a new comprehensive strategy to improve information security in the digital age. So fascinating, right out of the box, thinking from one of the most powerful information security executives in the media and entertainment industry. And if you haven't heard the show yet, it's near the top of your TF7 episode library. You don't have to go searching for it. That's why we do the Encore episodes, and they have been a huge success. So check it out, folks. That's the March 2019 Encore episode of Task Force 7 Radio, The Cyber Conundrum, How Do We Fix Cybersecurity? That's with the Chief Information Security Officer of Turner, Peter Cronus. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Well, we have the new TF7Radio.com website up and running. It's coming around really well, and we're really excited about it. The episode library is updated and currently includes all the TF7 episodes that we've ever done. I think there's almost 80 in there right now. Uh, we've done a few extras. I'm not sure if they're actually numbered or not from the beginning. We're on 77 today, so regardless, we're getting pretty close. And I must say, it's a, we, we, the, uh, the guest list that's on there is probably the most impressive thing that we have. So you can see the entire cybersecurity guest list uh, that we've had on TF7 Radio. And I think, hands down, no one else even comes close when it's getting to the high-profile tier one guest on the show. And it's, it's that, that's what we do here. That's what we do best here. And you can check out our news section, too. It has all the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio. You can write comments there, even, on the different articles and topics that we're talking about, which is going to be a lot of fun. So you can find all the playback mediums that Task Force 7 is on as well. I got tired of naming them all, and someone actually hit me up and said, hey, you know, why don't you just you know, create a link and, you know, where we can all go and just get, get all the mediums in one place. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's about 11 of them right now. So you can find... All the playback mediums there on the Task Force 7 website. Our contact information is there as well. And you can ask for information to sponsor the show if that's what you're looking to do. So if you go to our website, you can subscribe to the show by hitting the subscribe tab at the top right of the homepage. It's right up front, so you can't miss it. Uh, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 Radio website, which is really the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. So this is the way you will get all the TF7 Radio updates from site to site. And as well, as well as the site gets more robust, you'll also be getting notified about TF7 Extras, which we hope to do more. Um, I want to get a few of those out on some special topics. And also the Encore episodes that I mentioned before that you might have missed, and other Task Force 7 radio news and events and information for the upcoming Task Force 7 Network, too. So we, you know, hopefully I'll have some exciting news about that sometime real soon. So aside from our TF7 radio site, 
the easiest way to see where TF7 Radio is around the internet is just Google us, Google Task Force 7 Radio, and you'll get all your options. We have great uh, search engine optimization. We didn't even pay a dollar for it, folks. We didn't pay anything. It's just there because people are hitting it, uh, recognized on Google searches right away. So check us out, TF7 Radio Playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we have a very special episode for you this week. Mr. Marcus A. Capone, the Chief Security Officer of Onyx CTS, is going to be with us this evening. Marcus is an American hero and true patriot. He served 13 years as a Navy SEAL, completing multiple combat tours in Afghanistan and Iraq on the SEAL's elite counterterrorism unit, SEAL Team 6. He participated in over 300 direct action missions, and he's received five combat awards for valorious acts, including two bronze stars. Marcus finished top of his class during his highly competitive six-month SEAL Team 6 selection course, and he later led the Naval Special Warfare's close quarter combat training program and has participated in countless interagency operations in high-risk environments alongside other U.S. government agencies and friendly foreign governments. He has a vast amount of experience coordinating security plans, coordinating high-risk close protection, and providing critical intelligence and emergency response to mitigate risk. Currently, Marcus advises Fortune 500 companies on the convergence of physical and cybersecurity, helping them to ultimately reduce their risk posture. Marcus sits on several advisory boards that focuses on human performance. He was a Division I college quarterback, and I know I had to throw that in there because I'm a huge college football fan and he received his master's degree in global leadership from the University of San Diego School of Business. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Marcus A. Compone. Marcus, thank you for your service to our country and welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Yeah, thanks George, good evening guys. Uh, excited to be here. I appreciate that, uh, that over the top uh, opening, uh, opening paragraph, so thank you. Um, well, it's I'm all well deserved here. and I gotta tell you, Let's kick it off with some, let's kick off with something a little light, right? What is the A for in the Marcus A component? This is an important question I want to put. Um, all right, so this, you know everything's got a funny story. So this is this is actually really funny, and and if you know my mother, you'd totally understand this. My wife's laughing; she's sitting here watching me. Um, so when I grew up, uh, my my parents told me it was really my mom told me my middle name was Marcus Alexander Capone. My grandfather, uh, great grandfather's Alexander. And so it wasn't until high school where I got a, a hold of my, um, my birth certificate. And on my birth certificate, you know, it read Marcus Alphonse Capone. And so I said, wow, somebody really screwed up because my middle name's Alexander. And so I take the birth certificate into my mom's in the kitchen. And I go, hey, mom, um, I think somebody, you know, something, somebody screwed something up uh, at the hospital. It says Alphonse on my birth certificate. And, you know, my, my mom's a complete, you know, uh, you know, Jew from New York, Queens, grew up. She's got the strong accent. She goes, Marcus, well, you know, your, your name is, your middle name is Alphonse, but I always wanted to call you Alexander. So we just told you, you know, your middle name was Alexander. And so, you know, my, my middle name is Alphonse <laughs> after my grandfather. Um, but it's been 17 years to figure that out. So, and that's kind of, you know, that, that just explains most of my upbringing right there. So, so <laughs> that's sort of that's the tone, I think, for like, you know, uh, how, how your life has gone in terms of, you know, things changing for you on a rapid basis. I mean, you grew up in New York, as you mentioned. I mean, what was the path like going from the beach in New York 
to the beach at SEAL training, you know, and then becoming in, uh, at the top of your class, at the top of your selective and training class training? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I never grew up uh, further than five minutes to the beach. And then, you know, at 18, I went away to school uh, in the Midwest. But I think, you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, the beach is very sacred to me. The ocean is very sacred to me. And, and I never even thought about the military growing up. I mean, it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't like my, hand, my parents were, you know, huge patriots. I mean, they were freaking, they were freaking hippies. They both went to Woodstock. And, um, you know, my grandfather, I remember seeing a purple heart, um, in the house, we had it displayed in a case and I never really knew what that meant. Um, but you know, growing up on the beach and having that background, I mean, I was in the, I was in the pool at three years old. I was a competitive swimmer, sprinter all through high school. I won the States in the 50 freestyle. And so, you know, when I figured out my senior year of college that I wanted to go in the Navy, I wanted to be a, a SEAL team member. Um, for me, it was almost like natural, it was a natural path to go. Um, I, I love the beach. I love the water. Um, and I had no idea what I was getting into at the time. And so, um, you know, but, but my, my history of, of growing up, you know, in that environment, I think, you know, really helped me through buds and, and through my, uh, my 13 year career. So urban legend has it that you entered the Navy without perhaps fully grasping the difference between the enlisted versus officer career paths. Maybe <laughs> another surprise. I'm not sure. Could you expand on that a bit? Yeah, that's great. Um, so again, you know, I never really had a mentor. You know, I didn't go to ROTC. I didn't even know what ROTC was in college. I went to Southern Illinois University on a football scholarship. Um, and, and all I knew was football. Um, but, you know, once my football career started winding down, um, I started grasping, figure out, you know, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life at 21 years old? Um, when you grow up playing uh, really with a ball in your hand, I mean, you grew up playing football and baseball and basketball, and I could have played baseball in college also. Um, I had played a little bit of volleyball in college, played beach volleyball. I mean, everything, you know, was around sports, and, and now I'm at 21 years old, and what, my life is, is finished. I'm supposed to put on a shirt and tie and, and uh, you know, go to work every day. It just wasn't sitting right. and. Um, this is a great story. You know, let, let's, 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 I'll tell you how I first interested, got, got interested in the SEAL teams was I was, uh, I was staying up late one night watching, uh, watching TV and this movie comes on and I swear this is a real story and don't laugh, but a uh, GI Jane. And of course I had no idea of what you know, really what the military was about, what the SEAL teams were about or, or any other special operations unit. And so, you know, my, my um, perception of the SEAL teams was GI Jane, unfortunately. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I entered the, I, you know, I entered the Navy thinking that I'll, it must be uh, just like what I watched on TV. And of course I was highly uh, incorrect, but um, you know, when I did go to the recruiter uh, at, you know, at Southern Illinois, um, he actually told me, he goes, Hey, aren't you graduating from college? And I said, yeah, why? He goes, well, you know, you, you, you can be an officer. And I said, Oh, that sounds great. What's that? You know? Um, he said, well, here, here's the difference. Here's an officer, here's enlisted and kind of explain the, the two different uh, sides of the house. And then, so they, they kicked me over to the officer recruiters and I went through everything there and I ended up getting, uh, getting accepted for every officer candidate program except Naval Special Warfare, which is, you know, which is the SEAL teams. And, uh, in all honesty, I, I didn't want to go in the Navy. I wanted to be a SEAL, right? Um, and so I turned down all the officer programs, and I just enlisted 
And I think, you know, when you, well, not I think, when you graduate, they, they, they bump you up in rank. And so I enlisted in the Navy as an E3. Um, I think you got paid an extra like $27 a month. So to me, that was like striking it rich. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> that's, a, that's a crazy story. You know, I was thinking about G.I. Jane. I know that movie very well. You know, a small bird will drop frozen dead from a bow without ever having felt sorry for itself, right? When I think of that movie, I always think of that phrase all the time. And it was sort of like, I, I, it could be easily, uh, I guess, easily be portrayed as, you know, what people see, the, the seal's ass, because, you know, that movie had some, some powerful uh, lines in it, definitely. I mean, so you were deployed with SEAL Team 10, before you went to the green team selection. So uh, how's, how's, how different was green team from buds? Yeah. So, you know, and I want to make sure that, you know, everything we're saying here today, I'm, I'm able to speak about, and, you know, I really don't like talking about, um, you know, my prior life, but I get it now I'm in the private sector. I have to, I have to open up a little bit. And I guess it's, it's sort of like if you went to, uh, you know, Harvard or Wharton business school, you probably wouldn't hide that on your resume and it's going to help help, uh, you know, propel you into, into your, your private sector career. And so, um, you know, I'll talk a little bit about uh, my, my history at SEAL Team 10 and, and at, at, at SEAL Team 6. And, and, and the good thing is I, I did a bunch of research this morning and I pulled all my information that I'm going to talk about from Business Insider, the Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur Magazine, Operation Military Kids, Wikipedia, Military Times, and the New York Times. So anything I'm saying here today, uh, you will be able to find in any of these uh, news outlets. Um, yeah, I did several deployments with SEAL Team 10, uh, combat deployments to Afghanistan. And then, um, you know, for you to, to for, for a SEAL to be selected for the, the you know, Tier 1 uh, Special Mission Unit, um, you have to do several combat deployments. Um, you have to spend at least four to five years already in the teams. Um, you, you have to prove yourself. I mean, you can't be a, a, uh, uh, an average Joe, even though, you know, maybe sales aren't average Joes, but you know, there's a pecking order of course in, in every line of work. And so, um, you know, the top 1% of all seals get to screen, uh, for the tier one unit. And then, you know, only about 50% make it. Um, and, and the difference really is, um, I think buds was, uh, you know, buds was a gut check. They want to really see if you want to be there. Uh, if you're, you're mentally and physically tough enough, and then you're going to train on the skills that you need to be successful uh, operators going forward. Um, now, green team, uh, again, uh, <laughs> pulling it out of the uh, online news outlets, it's really, um, it's more about skill. And so, you know, everybody there has already could run, you know, a six minute mile and, and for, for, for five miles and pull their body weight, you know, bench their body weight 20 times. Right out of the gate. And, Right out of the gate. No one has to train. Well, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the minimums going over there are a lot higher. Um, and you got to pass all these minimums before you even are allowed to, to, to go through training. So, I mean, you're talking about guys that are the, honestly the top 1% of just physical specimens, uh, both in the military and then, you know, even in the private sector, some of them. Um, so everyone's already in shape. But now we want to see, like, how, how, you know, how well can you react to pressure? Are you a good shooter? Um, you get ranked all the time, uh, every day, you know, I mean, there's a, it's, it's a, it's an ego check. You know, if you have a bad day, you may look at the board and find yourself at the bottom of that, uh, bottom of that board. And you gotta, you know, you gotta kind of walk past the guys with your head held high saying, you know, why you belong here. 
Um, so, you know, you're keeping each other accountable constantly. Um, you know, I think that's why we have so many high performers. Um, you know, my colleagues, in my opinion, are some of the most amazing individuals in the world. And it's because we've held each other accountable uh, in, in, in uh, you know, training like this. And so, you know, I try to take that stuff and, and uh, transfer it over to the private sector. Um, you know, you really, it's very difficult to be a high-performing team without holding each other accountable. For that. Now, let's start to talk about that for a second and make that yeah. transition into how these type of skills translate into the business sector. So you've been very, very successful in your career. You've trained SEALs in, in Coronado and, and, and you've seen many qualified candidates and you've seen what, what a not qualified candidate looks like. You've seen people that are going to fail, right? And in SEAL training, of course, very few pass and many, many fails. And, and sometimes, it, depending on the roles, it's like that in business as well. Business leaders struggle with the very same problems. And so surely there must be a way to sort of pre-screen out those who, who can't make it in some respects. I think in a lot of these CISO jobs out there, there's two reasons why um, the CISOs don't last long in these positions. There's one new thing, there's one new term going around calling being called a disposable CISO, which really, really irks me a lot. And I'll get into that later on, but that really bothers me. But a lot of times I think they're putting the wrong people in these positions too. And there has to be some way to find out those candidates that are most certain to pass, the most certain to succeed, and excel in business, especially in these positions, and actually get the, the senior executives, the, the, the executive committees of these organizations to understand what that process really is. So how does some pre-screening work for SEAL candidates, and how can that sort of maybe transition into the business world? Yeah, I mean, the pre-screening gets you so far. So I think it, you know, it filters out um, the, a lot of the noise. Um, most of the guys who don't get through SEAL training or, or BUDS um, are, the, are, the, are the guys who talk the most, that tell everybody why they're there, how bad they are. Um, you know, and, 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 and the more noise you create, right, the, the, uh, the, the, the bigger a fool you look in the eyes of everyone else. And I remember some of the, you know, most of the humblest guys that I worked with um, were, you know, were the best guys. And, and those guys that were constantly uh, yelling and beating their chest um, and, uh, you know, just kind of a pain in the ass really didn't, didn't they, they weren't standing on the, on the grinder there. Um, you know, six months later, uh, receiving their, their uh, SEAL Trident. And so, you know, we, we are humble guys. I mean, we definitely have, um, you know, we, we definitely put ourselves out in the media a little bit, but that, I think that's the exception. Um, the majority of the guys are, are, uh, are pretty humble like myself. Um, you know, but just going back to your question, uh, how do you, you know, how do you pre-screen these guys out? So you, you know, you, you do the best you can, you try to figure out who really wants to be there. Um, and then, you know, then the process just takes care of itself. I think for so many years, they've tried to come up with blood panels and psychological tests and, and all that stuff is fine and dandy. And I think it does a good job filtering to an extent, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, when you go through training, like that part, you just got to look at it as a schoolhouse. Um, it's just something you got to get through to get to the ultimate goal. And, and that's the whole thing. And I think people call it their whys. So what, what was our why going through training? Well, our why was, you know, uh, putting a trident on, getting to a SEAL team and going overseas and going to war. That's the why. So, you know, anything that you got to do to get there, it doesn't really matter. 
So if they tell me to run 10 miles, well, I say, okay, well, I guess I got to do that to get, you know, to, to get overseas. You know, we'll go swim five and a half miles in the freezing Pacific Ocean. Well, okay, I guess I'll go do that um, if that's what it takes to get overseas. So the stuff in between, you just have to do. Um, but if you just continue thinking about what the end goal is, I mean, the stuff in the middle really doesn't matter. Um, I think that transfers over exactly into the private sector because, you know, the day-to-day grind is, I mean, it sucks. Uh, I think um, especially for transitioning vets, it, it sucks even more. But even guys just out of college, I think it's a, it's a shock of what they think they want to do uh, when they grow up. But the day-to-day grind can be very difficult. And I think guys can lose their focus there. But if they know why they're grinding, then the grind doesn't matter. And then it's just another uh, process to get to, you know, your, your end goal. And, and your end goal could be, uh, you know, being a SEAL, um, you know, making a lot of money, uh, raising a family, whatever uh, motivates you, whatever really motivates you. Yeah. Whatever motivates you. It's, it's really your, yeah, it's your why. I mean, that's, that's what your motivation right. is. Your why. Why, why do you want? get the focus and discipline from, right? That's it. All the stuff in between is just, uh, it's just noise. All right, look, we got to transition to commercial break right here. But when we get back, I want to talk about a lot uh, how these skill sets you've learned in the military and your experiences actually do translate into business and how you can help other business executives learn from your experiences and be successful in the business world. But, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at task47radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you, Task Force 7. Get in the fight. We're going to take a pause for a few minutes, and then we'll be right back with former SEAL Team 6 member and Chief Security Officer of Onyx CTS, Mr. Marcus A. Capone. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. 
with forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skills shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, Consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. The rules of enterprise security have changed. Your employees work remotely. Their devices access corporate data in the cloud. Phishing and other threats are intensifying. Traditional perimeter-based security is no longer enough to keep your enterprise safe. You need a new approach that protects your organization from the outside in. Lookout Post Perimeter Security enables protection at the endpoint and establishes continuous conditional access to data based on risk so you can protect your mobile workforce against phishing and other new world threats. Now you can secure the post-perimeter world. Visit lookout.com forward slash task force seven to learn more today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest for this evening, former SEAL Team 6 member and Chief Security Officer of Onyx CTS, Mr. Marcus A. Capone. So, Marcus, I, I want to get right into, you know, some of the things we talked about in the first segment, sort of transitioning into uh, skills and experiences that you can use in the corporate sector that actually actually work in the, in the corporate sector. And I want to talk about why corporations usually see threats from either a, a physical or cyber perspective differently. And as a result, 
they have two different entire organizations, two different budgets, and two different ways of approaching how to mitigate those threats. And they actually report to different management change too. And why do you think that is? Um, good question. That, that's, that's a good question. You know, we, you know, at Onyx, I think we talk about that every day, the convergence of physical and cybersecurity and how it has lacked for so long. And now, um, you know, we're trying to be at the forefront of bringing the, the physical side and with, you know, to meet up with the cyber side to produce uh, better, you know, better outcomes. Um, but I think as a, you know, as a secure, you know, security, the security community as a whole, you know, we should ask ourselves, like, have we evolved to meet the current threat? Um, I, I don't know. I think, you know, I think we're a little behind. You know, and what I mean by like the current threat or the current threat landscape um, is that, you know, really physical security and cybersecurity businesses, organizations, you know, and their structure have really, uh, in my opinion, and, and I think from what you'll find, they, they've stayed the same. And I think we're having the same conversations along, you know, all the lines of how, how do we or should we integrate better, you know, or more effectively to protect, you know, people, you know, corporations, people, assets, et cetera. Um, you know, not, not that it's the same exact thing, but, you know, when you think about how the U.S. military had to adapt from, you know, a Cold War military posture and strategy to, you know, combat and strategy in the first two Gulf Wars across, you know, a variety of theaters um, and an entirely different type of adversary, you know, and that's what we're dealing with today. Um, so, you know, really with that in mind, I think, you know, we as private security professionals um, need to sharpen ourselves uh, every day by, you know, pushing our leaders to validate, revalidate that, you know, corporate security is functioning at the highest possible level, um, but it, it, it's only going to function at the highest possible level if you bring, you know, guns, guards, dogs, access control cameras along with, you know, that, that cyber piece, you know, and then once you bring those two together, I mean, you have a, you know, you have an elite force. So that's what yeah, we're trying. I, mean, I think uh, it's really interesting. Uh, is that you, Tom? No. So I think it's really interesting that um, from a business perspective, right? I mean, our adversaries can launch simultaneous uh, logical and physical attacks at the same time for, you know, for the same purpose, for the same common goal, right? So from a business perspective, does this make organizations more or less susceptible to the threats and risks that they face every day? Because you don't see this convergence that, you know, could happen or maybe should happen. No, you're right. And, and, and then on the battlefield, we see it all the time. I mean, our, hand, our hands are tied and we have, to, we have to play by the rules. The adversary doesn't play by the rules, right? I mean, the adversary does what they want right. to do. So, you know, one, what I know from my career in the military and now my time in the private sector, uh, the adversary never sleeps. Um, the adversary evolves as fast or faster than our defenses. So we're always playing catch up. Um, that's why the best leaders uh, and the best teams are kind of proactive and trying to figure out, you know, you know, how can we protect ourselves before it happens? Um, you know, and that dynamic has never changed. I mean, that's happened since the, as far back as we have a uh, history of, of warfare. Um, and in my opinion, you know, I don't think we're doing a good enough job right now and in, in, in doing it fast enough uh, to evolve and meet the threats, um, you know, with these political fiefdoms and span of control and et cetera. You know, the, right now they're the drivers for how corporations are defending themselves and their assets. And so, you know, we're just trying to get ahead of that curve. 
Yeah, I mean, you make a lot of good points here, and specifically on the battlefield, the desired state is this fully integrated view, right, where they have optics end-to-end, and where the operator in the field has all the threat information available to them in real time, both from a logical and physical perspective, right? So let's be clear, is this, this is the preferred model in business in your view, right? I mean, this is the way we should be, is there, are there disadvantages to that view that are stopping people from actually making that transition into this converged model? Well, I don't, you know, in, in all lessons learned from the military, right? And not all of them translate directly to the private sector, the corporate world. Um, but, but I know one thing for certain, that I've never met a single commander, CEO, investor that said, hey, you know what? We have enough information or, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't need any more information because that's not going to help me, right? You know, right. more information, that's okay. Now, what you do to that, we, what you do to that information is, is again, then it could, you know, then it could hamstring you. But having more information, um, you know, I've never met anyone that said no. Uh, you know, give me less. So, you know, I think the fidelity information has to be a critical, you know, it's got to be a critical factor uh, versus just like information overload, you know, what I just talked about, um, and what I think most, you know, security organizations are dealing with every day. So, you know, providing our warfighters, you know, guys I worked with, whether that's in the boardroom or in the battlefield, you know, providing those individuals on the ground with better information will absolutely allow, you know, critical decision making that it only works in our favor, right? So it doesn't, it's not going to work in the enemy's favor. Um, so let's, let's, let's give them as much information as they, they, they need, right? Let's provide them with yeah. everything that we can find, every, every bit of, of open source intelligence, uh, social media monitoring, dark web monitoring, um, you know, any bit of information that will help us perform our duties, like why aren't we doing that? Yeah, this is a, this is a pretty interesting conversation because you know I recently just sat out in a meeting in a conference room with a uh, with a, a vendor who came in and talked about uh, helping uh, mitigate risk from a 360 view, including uh, both the cyber world and the physical world, right? And they he got into some of the physical assessments that the team does uh, to help um, supplement some of the security that organizations have, and literally you could just see throughout the room all the cyber guys completely just lost interest. And they were just looking at each other like, you know, when is this gonna be over and what does this have to do with me? And they didn't get it. They really didn't get it. And I think, you know, it, even from the corporate security side, when we say corporate security, I mean maybe the physical security side, it's usually not in the technology department, right? It's usually either in legal or in, in the admin or ops uh, space. But a lot of those guys come from law enforcement. And historically, law enforcement has been one of the most difficult sectors to implement organizational change. So that, you know, transforming change in that sector has been one of the most difficult. They have whole classes on how to do that in master degree programs, specifically just for law enforcement, because they're just so not uh, into change. They, they, they're a very difficult group to change. And so a lot of the corporate security folks are made up of, of folks who come from that field. So you have this sort of perfect storm in terms of, you know, not being able to implement this this change that we're trying to to get to um and it's just become i think very difficult and, and i think it's a i don't think it's good and hey, you know what can i say hey marcus before that like george i think one of the things marcus that you hit on early that kind of might hit this is when you went to the the navy right you said you had all these officer opportunities but you wanted to be an operator 
so you went enlisted and and I kind of wonder sometimes in cybersecurity are we doing too much of that like I have some guys on my team who don't have college degrees and they just got into the weeds early and, and they're my operators and man they find stuff that others don't to your point George right that the people are just like too almost too educated too inside the box sometimes can't yeah. can't see it oh sorry go ahead Marcus I'm jumping no, I think, well it's a different mindset I mean, we're talking about tactical mindset versus strategic mindset yeah. and, and there's definitely you have to think you know both ways a good thing about having a good team I think we have while we have an amazing team at Onyx we have you know, the leadership consists of four guys that think completely differently, some tactical, some strategic. And so, you know, that dynamic enables us to be a very agile uh, group. But, you know, if you want to talk about going back to um, the, the convergence again and why the cyber guys are rolling their eyes as, as you're talking about, because that's the you know, background you guys come from. Um, Here's, here's what's funny. You know, if you talk to my, my operators right now, my, my, my operators, my, 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 my friends, my former, you know, my former uh, colleagues and teammates, those guys are going to more computer courses now than pulling the trigger, right? And so because they're expected to know how to pull the trigger and, and, and hit a target from, you know, 250 yards out, you know, between the eyes type of thing. Um, and then, you know, blow a door and enter a room, make a decision in a snap second, whether someone's holding a phone or a gun, whether it's the hostage or the, or the child, et cetera, and, or excuse me, hostage or, 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 or the adversary. Um, but like, they just expect that from us. So now we're going to all these cybersecurity courses and, 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 and signal intelligence courses, and, and we're getting really, really um, educated on the, the new battlefield. I'm not sure that's happening on the other side. And I'm not saying those guys have to like meet us halfway, but you know, they, they should understand that we're, we're trying to meet them. We are meeting them halfway. They got to meet us halfway. That makes sense. I don't know. I kind of, kind of went around a little bit there. No, I get it. Andy, do you, did you have something? Yeah, I find this topic fascinating, right? I mean, you know, everyone here on the phone, we've, we've all had to make that, that uh, jump from, from tactical to strategic or government to, to private. I, George, I remember speaking at a conference recently, a physical security conference, and the, the keynote um, presenters had looked at out across the audience of like about 250 or so CSOs and said, pick up a book, start learning cyber, get as technical as you can because, you know, quote unquote, those guys will be taking your job soon, right? And so it's almost like inherently creating uh, this siloed approach, right. From a mentality perspective, right. So it's great Marcus to hear, you know, the guys coming off the teams thinking in terms of, um, how to make the transition, things that they need to have the soft skills, um, to, to make the transition of the business world. Yeah. And they have to, I mean, you know, to, to come from those tier one units, I mean, again, you're talking about the, the, the best of the proven, um, you know, tactical operators and, uh, for them to just, I guess, be relevant, uh, you know, they also have to be relevant with, with technology. So if technology is flying, well, those guys also have to be uh, ahead of that game, you know, also. So, you know, flying drones, counter drone technology, um, you know, wearing devices that are constantly, you know, uh, feeding information to each other and feeding information back to the, to the command center. I mean, it's all happening, right? Um, it's not just, uh, guns, guards, and dogs anymore, and, uh, and patrol, patrol to target or patrol to, to contact. So. so look, Marcus, you know, in business, we're often talking about cyber hygiene, and it's uh, especially in the cybersecurity space. And, and many times, I think that equates to basically managing the basics. Make sure you, you, know, you catch the ground balls, you have good, good form when you throw the guy out of first base, right? In the military, 
you often talk about making sure you check the basics as well. Can you give us some examples of why you think this is so important? Maybe, you know, some examples of your experiences and then maybe how that translates into the, into the business world. Uh, yeah. I mean, as simple as like a, you know, like a claim where it says what front towards enemy on, you know, on purpose, right? Like you're thinking like, here's this, this, this explosive. And uh, why, why would it say that? Well, it says that because some people just get dumb when, uh, you know, when the, when the pressure's ratcheted up. And so, yeah, I mean, just cyber, you know, hygiene, uh, you know, hygiene is important and basics are important. Um, you know, I, I, there are stories of guys in the rush of adrenaline, um, you know, uh, rush to the helicopter and you would think that they would have the, the wherewithal to, to, to bring their weapon. But um, there have been instances where guys have left their weapons either, you know, uh, at the edge of a ship or, you know, back in their room or somewhere where they've laid it on the side and they forgot to grab it uh, and they get on that helicopter and take off without their uh, primary means of, of, uh, of killing. And so uh, those guys don't last very long. Uh, we get rid of them immediately. Um, you can't make those mistakes. Um, I have a funny story. I, I have a lot of funny stories, but um, I have a funny story of uh, I'm, 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 uh, it's, it's nighttime and I don't remember exactly where we were in Iraq and Fallujah or Ramadi or whatever. It was, it was night and it was dark and we had just, uh, we had just engaged a, a, a group and, uh, I hear from my buddy next to me going, you know, Hey man, um, how are you going to shoot somebody? And, and I'm thinking like, you know, what is this guy talking about? Um, you know, I'm almost like, I almost want to slap him to say, Hey, you know, like, you know, leave me alone. Uh, I, you know, it just, it was very odd that he's sitting here talking to me and we're in the middle of this, this conflict. And I didn't, he goes, he goes, dude, he goes, you don't have a magazine in your weapon. <laughs> so, you know, here he is trying to help me out. And I'm thinking, crazy mofo, like, we're, we're sitting here behind a wall. And uh, yeah, I guess in the midst of, of running around, <laughs> hopping over uh, fences and, and falling off uh, rooftops, that my magazine fell out of my uh, my HK. Uh, and um, yeah, good good thing he said that, and I was able to get a new magazine in there and, and, and ready to go because that would have been a that would have been a bad uh, bad rest of the. Uh, oh. Yeah, maybe for a few seconds. Maybe for a few seconds. Yeah. Hey, Marcus, you mentioned before right, critical thinking, right? And I think that's that's such an important point in, in skills, right? I mean, having that and being battle tested, right? We get into cyber and most folks aren't dealing with crisis, real crisis, at least in the private sector version yeah, no of crisis. Here, right? Oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. No, no, yeah, it's right. No one's dying, right? Um, there's no real bad day in the private sector, right? Comparatively, right? So, uh, but the critical thinking skills, you know, in the private sector, you're, you're testing it, you know, with tabletop exercises, right? And you're in the boardroom, you know, looking at slide decks, right? You know, so I think there's a, such an underappreciated skill uh, that the private sector needs to, to adapt, right? Is that critical thinking and knowing how to manage people and, 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 and resources in stressful times, right? And I've always found like folks coming out of you know, that background that have that experience, you know, just are so well adjusted into the private sector, especially in times of incident management. Um, so it's just great that you brought that up. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a funny story. Well, it is, you know, and I have, I have more like that. I mean, honestly, I mean, um, you know, one, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't have 
uh, we don't have a hard time adjusting to, I, I don't think, stress. Stress, well, I can't say I haven't been stressed in the private sector. I'm stressed all the time, but it's different stress. It's not the same stress we, you know, we, we, we experienced our time in the military. I think, one, because we never felt like it was a job, right? I mean, we were there because we were passionate about it, and it was amazing. We worked with a bunch of amazing guys who were the best at what they did. And so, um, you know, I would never stressed in that regard. Um, you know, I, I honestly feel like I'm more stressed in the private sector, maybe just because I just don't feel as comfortable as I wow. did just being myself. So. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's great because a lot of guys, look, I mean, a lot of guys who come out of these you know, high stress life and death situations, you know, when they come to um, the, the, the private sector, like you said before, not everybody translates and uh, not everybody transitions good. Not every, it's not a good transition for everybody and not everything in the military works good in, in, in business. And I think you, know, you have to be able to draw that line there. And I think uh, a lot of guys aren't able to, and they don't last long in, in the business world. I can think of a few individuals off the top of my head who did very poorly coming out of uh, uh, the military into business and they just could not make the transition and they didn't last very long. So, but you know, I think for the most part, you know, people are really, you know, when they come that they don't get flustered, you know, to Andy's point, like they don't get, they don't get flustered when, okay, we have a cyber problem. Let's sit down and figure it out. They're not panicking in any way, and they're able to handle crisis in a much different and, a, I think, much more efficient way because of their experiences. Now, most people probably look at SEAL Team 6 and think that it's all high-speed application of physical force, and you guys are, like, blowing shit up all the time. But in reality, you receive far more than just physical training and, 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 uh, and tactic training, tactical training. You, you receive a whole bunch of different training. Tell us about how team members are trained in like cyber activities, obviously, of course, or electronic uh, collection, uh, forensics, uh, maybe uh, operating in country, things like that. Yeah. Um, well, we're definitely, I would say, arguably um, one of the best at blowing things up and, and being physical and, uh, you know, being high speed, uh, et cetera. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, guys that are still working, um, and still operating or, or just, you know, they're, they're training for a lot of different missions now. And, and um, you know, cyber is the, I, I hate to call it the buzzword, but it really is now, you know, buzzword is, is for the, for the larger population, cyber, cyber, everything, um, you know, everything's cyber, but you know, that's the, the world has come to that, right? I mean, each, each one of us are walking around with a device in our pocket that does literally everything. And so if you are not an expert with that thing in your pocket um, and know how to use it to your advantage, um, you're going to be at a disadvantage and actually the adversary is going to use it against you. So, you know, we are um, getting uh, more educated on, uh, you know, electronic warfare, electronic collection, um, operating in all types of environments. I mean, you know, we've been in the desert for what last, I guess, 18 years now, 19 years. Um, but you know, we're starting to, to, seep back into some of the other areas uh, around the globe. And so, you know, it's like uh, reinventing yourself again and learning uh, new skill sets. And so, you know, I can't get into the, the exact um, specialties that, that, that the guys are learning, but I brief, you know, briefly talked about some surveillance, detect uh, surveillance and detection, you know, uh, equipment and, and some uh, drones and counter drone technology or just, it's a, it's, it's a, Man, the, the industry is really exploring. Right, right. right. So, as you know, speaking uh, to that, as missions are planned and they unfold, how closely does the you know the assault team work 
uh, go with the Intel and the cyber guys and, and the people that are doing the yeah. handling the drones and how's that all work together? Hand in hand. So, I mean, guys are, you know, it's really, if we go back to this whole conversation of converged space, it is converged. You know, we got operators that are, you know, we got operators that are using drones and operators that are uh, collecting intelligence and we got Intel guys that are putting on gear and, you know, so it's, that whole world is, is come together now. Uh, and, and so, well, at least in, 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 uh, I guess my, my former life, um, it's come together. And so I, you know, they're playing, they're playing well together. Um, again, I never ran into a commander who, uh, or, or, or a tactical guy that ever said, um, I have enough information. Um, you know, more information is better. So, so, you know, how much time was spent planning for a mission versus executing a mission, right? So we're always talking about war gaming and preparation and, and planning and crisis management in the cyberspace. Um, I don't know if we've pounded that drum hard enough because I don't know if people really see the value. I mean, go well, this is business, right? So people have to pay for these exercises and they pay for them and they have to weigh the, the, the risk of not being prepared for it when it happens. Everyone's going to have a bad day in cyber. That's our opinion here on Task Force 7 Radio, it's everyone's going to have a bad day. It's how you react to that, how prepared you are, and, and how you're going to handle that, which is really going to you know, define you as, a, as an information security executive. So tell me a little bit about, about that in, in the military and how that translates. Yeah, you know, um, that's a double-edged sword. So, you know, you can plan for a year and have everything right, and then as soon as you step off, everything goes wrong. <laughs> so, um, you know, that year you just spent planning and trying to dial in everything exactly like you think it's going to happen. Uh, you know, Murphy's law takes over. And as we all know, nothing goes as planned. So having a general plan, high level plan, um, you know, some contingencies, uh, in case in, in those contingencies, you're trying to figure out what are the worst, at least if you plan for the worst contingencies, um, even if you didn't plan for the ones in between, you probably can figure those out. So, you know, planning, uh, you, you need to hit, you need to hit the high points. You need to be, uh, careful, but if you over plan, um, again, it may cloud your mind to react when, uh, you know, one of those incidences happen and, you know, you got almost too much information, uh, that you may have studied and now you can't make a sound decision. That's a really good point about the, you know, too much information to make, you know, get clarity on your decision, right? What is it, uh, paralysis by analysis, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think when you're talking about, I never met a commander who, who, who said, no, don't give me enough information. I'm not saying collect as much information as you want, but filter out the stuff that you need. And then with planning, you can't over plan. If you over plan, then you get that, that paralysis. Right. You don't know what to do because you you planned for everything and then everything you planned for, it went completely the wrong way. So a similar question in, in preparation and part of that prep is, uh, I guess, training and improving skills and, and you know, identifying the, the talent gaps that you have. How much uh, attention do you think the private sector is paying attention to the training aspect of, you know, preparing for, the, you know, the battle the day it comes in? In some respects, you're getting attacked every day, right? But we all know that there's some, you know, worse days than others. Some days are worse than others in terms of cyber attacks, but training, you know, your personnel for that day that it happens. Do you think they're paying enough attention to that? So in my military career, that's all we did was train. And I can't say all we did. Um, we fought a war since, since nine 11, but, um, 
in between those wars, when you weren't deploying, you were training, literally. I mean, we were gone over 300 days a year from, from 9-11 until most guys separate, uh, you know, unless they take a, a, an instructor role, um, you know, or take some time off. I mean, they're gone 300 days a year. And so if they're deployed for three, four, six months a year, um, in between that time, they're training everywhere. Uh, and it's not in your backyard either, you know? I mean, it's not like you have these training facilities, uh, you know, right next to home. So you're, you're constantly training. And, and if you're not training, then you're, you know, you're, you're losing. You're not getting better. Right, right. I don't see it. I don't see that same approach in the private sector. I, I do see that. You know, when you're talking about investing in your in your people, I don't see the investment in people enough unless you invest in yourself. I think you know, uh, the private sector is just concerned with profits um, for the most part um, at the top, and so you know we're not we're not investing in the in the guys that um, are making us you know making us better. Um, All right, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. I I, I was told uh, during the last break when I was transitioning the break that I actually gave you two email addresses for me that are different in the same sentence. That's a new one. That's a, that's a new accomplishment for me. So it's, it's, it's George.Ritas at TF7Radio.com. Uh, George.Ritas at Task47Radio.com is the old email address, of course, to the old, uh, old website, right? So it's, it's TF7Radio.com. That's TF7 with the number 7, Radio.com. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with former SEAL Team 6 member and Chief Security Officer Onyx CTS, Mr. Marcus A. Copone. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at SpyCloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data 
and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skills shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm back with our special guest for this evening, former SEAL Team 6 member and Chief Security Officer of Onyx CTS, Mr. Marcus A. Capone. So, Marcus, you know, for obvious reasons and, you know, the Hollywood hype that goes on out there, most people want to know about the UBL raid and, 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 and what, what happened there and, and, you know, the inside scoop on the preparation for that. But in reality, there are probably a lot of direct action missions that happened right before and after the UBL raid that were far more dangerous even possibly than, than what happened there. I, I don't know. I, I, describe for us the operational tempo you, you experienced during your combat tours. What, what's, that, what's that like? Yeah. Um, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, well, you, I mean, you hit it right on the head. I mean, you know, UBL raid's another raid, right? Um, you, you read about all the high-profile missions, and I think the world forgets about uh, the day-to-day grind of operations that are happening literally uh, probably as we're speaking uh, this evening um, and not probably definitely. And so the operational tempo is constant. Um, when it's wartime, uh, the guys are going out every night and they are, you know, persecuting targets um, in peacetime. I don't even know what peacetime is anymore. Um, you know, there's, there's uh you know, there's bad stuff going on all across the globe. So, um, you know, whatever unit is constantly fighting the enemy. Um, so there, there are constant, you know, direct action missions, signal intelligence missions, uh, collections, um, you know, on the ground, uh, human intelligence. So, Marcus, I heard the other day uh, one of the uh, broadcasters uh, on, uh, on one of the news stations actually said that we were living through a very long time of peace and prosperity right now. Peace. I mean, what do you think when you hear that? What goes through your mind when you, like, you hear someone describe our current time as peacetime? Yeah, I always think of, like, yeah, it is, it is peacetime for the majority of people back here going to work every day at, you know, said <laughs> company, you know, while my colleagues are still 
you know, fighting a war every day. And when I say the war, I'm not, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, Afghanistan or Iraq. I'm talking about like, the, the global war, the global war on terrorism. Um, you know, those bad guys are out there to, to make, make, make our good guys day, um, you know, not so good. And so when they talk about peace, um, yeah, there, there is a lot of peace uh, away, away from the guys that are, that are putting the screws to the bad guys um, on, on a daily basis. Yeah, so people forget about that. People forget about the fact that there's guys out there fighting a good fight for us every single day. And you mentioned the global war on terror. You know, you don't hear that term anymore, but it's still going on. Plus the media, you know, the media. So you have these security conferences and, and, and much like, you know, security product vendors, I think by and large, they try to tend to focus on these enterprise level customers. And, and that's for obvious reasons. They got the big bucks, they got the big, uh, the big budgets and the staff, but uh, your company uh, pursues a different type of customer. There's the smaller and less well-funded uh, folks. Uh, so tell us about that and how that works. Yeah, I mean, everybody's trying to play with the big boys. And so we, you know, we try to pick a very niche market that we thought we would be able to dominate and go after. And, and, and it's proving us correct. And, and we're enjoying great success right now, even as an early uh, at, a, uh, at a young company. You know, but really at an aggregate level, it's, it's kind of, you know, you kind of scratch your head that we protect these executive leaders and corporate assets during a nine to five window, five days a week, and then provide nothing you know, for them in the off hours. And, and why is that? I mean, that's not even, that doesn't even make sense uh, to a security professional because really nine to five is, in, well, at least overseas, that's when you were sleeping. Um, so, uh, you know, enterprise, you know, enterprise security products, if you want to call them, are expensive. Um, they're really, they're really great. Um, but really they're out of reach for most of us. And, you know, most of the down market, small business, um, private, you know, your private wealth individual, um, even your, your high net worth individuals, not, they're not paying for those enterprise products, but, you know, they need to protect uh, the exact same things and, and more, um, honestly. And so what we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing a trend where these big companies are looking, you know, how do we protect our senior leaders? And again, because we're, we're doing this right now, Onyx is doing this for these companies, um, you know, and they're, they're looking at us to go, hey, can you protect our senior leaders and their families outside of the office? Because let's face it, you know, we got to cover here with our, you know, you know, uh, multi-million dollar products. But as soon as they leave the office here with their laptop, their mobile device, they go home and they get on their Wi-Fi network, you know, I mean, and honestly, like, how can you be so, how could your, your reticle be so small to think that those attacks are not going to happen when they leave, you know, the, the um, Fort Knox, right? Like, why would I attack you at Fort Knox when I could attack your little, uh, your, your, your little hut over here? That's right. You're, you're always the one after that weakest link, right? I, I think it's great that you guys are, are focusing on the small, medium business, the individuals at home, right? Just that, that underserved community that has so much exposure. Uh, you know, kudos to you guys for, for taking that all on. the exposure. Yeah. And no one's doing it. And so we figured, you know, we're going to plan in, in a market that no one's there yet. We'll be first to market. We'll order, uh, uh, offer them an enterprise product that they just can't go out and get on their own. We'll price it to where it's affordable and we'll protect the individual 360 degree, you know, guns, guards, dogs, and, and, and networks, you know, like that's, that's it. So you're obviously seeing great leaders in, in your experience who exhibit, 
consistent leadership and these command skills under pressure and they're making critical business decisions and, and critical life and death decisions in your prior experience. Um, and a lot of them are in your prior experience, probably under the most trying uh, of conditions, right? Physical and mental circumstances that many people can't even, you know, imagine to be honest with you. But from your eyes, what are the qualities of those leaders all share? What, what, can you name specific qualities of these leaders that we should be looking for to put in these important executive positions? You know, I'll say that I think the, the number one, the number one skill that I've seen from my greatest leaders is that they, they are very humble in the fact that they don't believe they have all the answers. They believe that the, we'll go private sector, employees, or if you go in the military, you know, their, their, their uh, you know, subordinates um, ha- have the skills, have the tactical skills to get the job done. And, and, and my greatest leaders have always, you know, come down to our level and say, hey, you know what, what should we do here? You know, I got to think strategically. I need you to think tactically. What should we do here? Help me make a decision. Um, by far, those are, those are definitely the best leaders that, that you can find. You got to listen to your advisors, right? I mean, that's just bottom line. So you know, what, some, some of the yeah. leaders that you've seen in your prior experience, do they also uh, make great leaders in business too? Is that always, for the most part, is that, do you see that as the case or? Yeah, I mean, I think leadership is, is leadership. Now, whether they're going to be good at a specific uh, skill set, you know, that, that, that all determines on, on uh, you know, sometimes just osmosis, right? You just got to kind of be there for a while and understand the playing field. But that doesn't still, that doesn't take away who you are as a leader or as a person. Um, you know, I always laugh because, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was put in several leadership positions, um, smaller leadership positions towards the end of my military career. I never considered them, you know, large-scale leadership positions because they really weren't but I'm always told hey Marcus you're, you're such a leader and I kind of laugh I'm like really like how I you know for me I that I don't take it I don't look at it that way um you know I think I'm, I'm I think on average I think a lot of the guys I work with um are, are smarter and better at at what I do um I do things better than they do and so you know I I look to them for guidance and, and help and, and and make decisions uh you know, in, in that regard. Yeah. Checking that ego is important, right? And knowing what you know, and what you don't know. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and then just caring, right? Caring, right? Human to human with care um, about uh, another point of view. It, that's fantastic. Yeah. Egos ruin everything. I mean, honestly, they, they ruin fights in the house, families, uh, work. Um, well, know. let's talk about that for a second. Cause that's an interesting point, right? So you, as a SEAL team six member, you know, you're around the elite of the elite. And you were talking before how you're in training and there was a bunch of guys talking smack and most of those guys didn't make it. Cause, but still, at some point, you know, you're competing and, 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 you know, before you actually get into these combat positions, it seems like competition is always, always there. And I'm sure guys are always trying to get into each other's heads. And you were even talking about before, hey, if you have a bad day and you go to the back of the list, you got to walk by these guys and you got to convince them that you belong there. Yeah. And so there's a lot of sort of posturing that I think that goes around on some of these teams. Anybody who's played, you know, sports uh, mm-hmm. knows the, you know, the competitiveness that, uh, you know, even team sports that you can have competing for positions and things like that. How do, how do you blend this immense talent into these workable teams? Like who leads, who follows? How does it determine? Is it a problem? or It can be. It, yeah. it absolutely can be, right? When you have, 
you know, if you're talking about small teams of six or seven guys, we have six or seven type A large egos. There's, there's going to be an issue. Um, you know, at the end of the day, everyone has similar skill sets, um, but just guys are better at some things than the other. And I think you just gravitate towards um, the stuff that you do well. And you, and you, and you, you will, I should say, uh, you do, you know, the things you do well and you gravitate towards others that have skills that, you know, you may be lacking. And so a good team um, understands that. And we understood that, that we all had specialties. Uh, you know, we were kind of, sometimes you make a joke, it feels are, you know, jack of all trades, master at none. But that's really, in all honesty, not fully true. Yeah, we are jack of all trades, but we are actually masters at a few very, very, very specific things. And so, you know, guys are very specialized and they're really, really good at what they do, some of the best. And so, you know, you take a, you know, you take those specialties and you put them together and now you have a dominating force. So, Marcus, you're, you're heavily involved with a nonprofit foundation to help treat former Tier 1 operators suffering from the crushing efforts of PTSD and, and TBI, which is traumatic brain injuries. Can you tell us a little bit about your work in that space and, and what you do? Yeah, um, didn't realize we were going to get into that, but um, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, you know, about, a, a, I guess, a year and a half ago, um, you know, I was having my own uh, issues. Uh, just, you know, I, I, I had been through like five or six brain clinics just trying to figure out like, why, you know, why the, why the hamsters weren't running on, the, uh, on, their, on their tread correctly. And, uh, you know, nothing really worked. And I just, I found some stuff outside the U.S. that, um, kind of just healed me up in a weekend and, um, some just, uh, very unconventional treatment modalities that we're, we're experimenting with, um, researches there. And so, you know, right now, um, just from, you know, our advocacy, uh, we've gotten about 51 special operation veterans treated. Um, about 46 SEALs, just because that's the community I came from and who I'm most comfortable with, obviously. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a lot wider. We're going to reach the complete veteran population, the NFL, NHL, I mean, anybody who's suffering from, you know, mild TBIs that are showing symptoms of depression, you know, anxiety, if you want to call it PTSD, um, sure. Um, opioid addiction, alcohol addiction. Uh, what we found, what we're doing is, is, uh, cleaning all that up and right now our success rate is about 93 percent um which is extremely high uh, a lot higher than the guys that are going to the va and, and getting handed a bag of pills um and so we're just kind of moving forward with that i don't want to talk a whole lot about it we're working out um a lot of the organizational structure and, and, and legal uh paperwork and, and everything and it's 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 a bit complicated but um but we're doing it right now and it's working. And so you're finding that there's treatments outside the United States that have been more effective than some of the treatments that you found in, in country. Absolutely. It's, wow. it's, it's a little sad that our, like my brothers have to come back after literally over 20 deployments, some of them combat deployments, and you got to go outside the fucking borders to get treated. Right. Um, there's something wrong, you know, with the system. And so, I, you know, I don't want to tell anybody that, Everyone is trying to help. I believe everyone's intentions are, are good intentions, but they're just doing it incorrectly. And so I think we've, we've found something that's uh, working and, and we have the backing now of some, um, some of the most prestigious medical uh, research centers in the country. 
and um, we're, we're, we're doing some interesting stuff. So more to follow on that. Well, Marcus, I'm really That's happy fantastic. to hear on yourself and that you're helping your, your military, you know, brothers and sisters when they come back or military heroes. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, once again, I really appreciate your sacrifice and your service to our country. Uh, I hope to have you back on the show often. Yeah, yeah, this was fun. I hope I didn't screw up anything too bad. Um, and I hope, uh, you know, I hope you don't have the lowest ratings that you've had since you started. Uh, <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're going to do fine. There, I doubt bro. it. Yeah. I doubt it. Andy, anything to wrap up? It just, uh, you know, Marcus, thanks to make sure your wife and family appreciates that everyone is uh, thankful for their sacrifice as well. You know, while everyone's out deploying, you know, men and women are deploying, the families are always back. Um, so we appreciate their sacrifice and the commitment to the country also. No, thank you. Uh, they, they would love to hear that. And you know what? I'm humbled by uh, my buddies that are still fighting the war and I'll do whatever it takes to help them either continue, uh, continue working or, or transitioning into something else. So, yeah. Awesome. All right, folks, it's time to roll. But before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.